Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. Revelation, the devil's thrown into the lake of fire and so on and so forth. And so just keep that in mind. Now, as I was reading this passage, I saw two things. I saw a celebration of God's righteousness and I also saw a certainty of God's justice. And we're going to look at each one of those. So let's look at the celebration of God's righteousness. Beginning in verse 2, John says, I also saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had won the victory over the beast, its image, and the number of its name were standing on the sea of glass with harps from God, They sang the song of God's servant, Moses, and the song of the Lamb. And here's the song. Great and awe-inspiring are your works, Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship before you because your righteous acts have been revealed. And so... um, There's a lot here, but this deals with the saints. And they're celebrating God's righteousness because sin is finally going to be judged. Okay, God's wrath and judgment are going to be revealed. And uh, it starts out with, he says, I see something like a sea of glass, or some call it the crystal sea. Where have we heard that before? We'll go back to Revelation 4, verse 6. And when the... John was there around the the throne of God seeing what was going on in Revelation 4, verse 6. He said something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, uh, was also before the throne. And four living creatures covered with eyes in front and back were around the throne on each side. And so he saw a sea of glass like crystal, a crystal sea. Well, here that is again, a sea of glass, except this time it's mixed with fire, which hints of judgment. Um, I like what Herschel Hobbes says. He says, The sea of glass reminds us of Revelation 4, 6. There it was like a white crystal sea. Here it's as if mingled with fire. And it's like a sea in the rays of a setting sun. You've ever seen the sunset? It turns a bright red and orange and yellow. It's gorgeous gorgeous to see a sunset and to see it hit the water. Uh, It has that fiery red appearance. He says, Does this suggest that the end is near? that the sun is setting on the scene. He says another difference from the crystal sea in chapter 4 of Revelation is evident. In the former passage, the sea suggested separation from the holy God. But here in Revelation 15, the victorious saints were standing upon the sea. Okay, They are standing on the sea of glass with harps from God, is what verse 15-2 says. He says... Um, God is still transcendent, but those who have traveled through a bloody sea were qualified to stand upon the sea before God's throne. Now, the reason why I shared this quote from Hobbes because he goes on and mentions one more instance of the sea. In Revelation 21, verse 1, toward the end of this book, the sea is no more. It's removed. Uh, So there's no more separation. In the hands of the saints were harps to be used to worship God and praise Him. And they were singing the song of Moses, which is interesting. We'll look at that. The servant of God and the song of the Lamb. 
the song of Moses was the one sung after Israel had crossed the Red Sea and these martyred saints had crossed a Red Sea, not the, but a Red Sea by, you know, dying for Christ and probably even having to shed their blood uh, and be a martyr. So they sang one of a song of deliverance, redemption, and victory. Now, what's cool here is the background of this scene in Revelation 15 is the Exodus. And we just mentioned it. You remember the Exodus experience in the time of Moses? God called Moses, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And after 10 plagues, and it's kind of interesting that I mentioned plagues because here are seven angels with seven plagues, okay? So we still have the same background, same imagery, same ideas here. But in the uh, Egyptian exodus, God called Israel out of Egypt. Ten plagues happened. Pharaoh finally let them go, and they left Egypt with a lot of possessions as well, and they went to the Red Sea, and what happened? There wasn't a bridge there. What do we do now? And then they look, and Pharaoh changes his mind. He decides he wants them after all. Now he's breathing down their neck. And so you're caught between the old old-fashioned phrase, a rock and a hard place. You're caught between the sea, and there's no bridge, and the enemy breathing down your neck. What do you do? Moses held up his staff, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The waters parted. There was dry ground. They all crossed the cloud. Remember, the God led them as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The cloud moved, I believe, and held them off. They all crossed the sea. And then here comes the Egyptians after them. And then all of the water goes back and washes them away. And so Israel ends up standing on the other side of the sea. And they see all of their enemies, what? Destroyed in the Red Sea. And you almost have this type of experience with a twist. Here is a vision where there's a sea of glass mixed with fire. And those that have won the victory, instead of standing on the other side of the sea, they are actually standing on the sea of glass. And they've got harps from God and they're praising Him for their victory and their redemption. Okay? And so you... You, you see them singing the song of God's servant Moses and the song of the Lamb. And they both point to victory and redemption. Uh, matter of fact, it's ironic to me that the story I'm alluding to about Israel uh, leaving Egypt, the Exodus experience in the Old Testament, the crossing of the Red Sea, and all that, that happened in that story, it's in Exodus 15. So we're in Revelation 15, and the background story is in Exodus 15, if you just want to look it up sometime. Um, but Moses and Israel sang the song to the Lord in Exodus 15.1. They said, I will sing to the Lord, for He is highly exalted. He has thrown the horse and its rider into the sea. And if you look at this uh, song of the Lamb here in verses 3 and 4, in the middle of it, there's a question. In verse 4, the first part, he says, Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? And then if you look above it and below it, it makes it clear. Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? The line above that, in verse 3, he's king of the nations. Below that question, for you alone are holy, and all the nations will come and worship you, worship before you, because your righteous acts have been revealed. 
because He is great and awe-inspiring in His works. He's the Lord God, the Almighty, and He's just and true in all His ways. A powerful song if you think about it. And uh, Dennis Johnson said it's Moses' song because God's victory in liberating His people and destroying their enemies stands in continuity with the original Exodus, okay? When Moses and the Israelites came out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. But it's also the Lamb song. It's a new song because of the triumph of the Lamb in His sacrificial death, His resurrection, and His coming judgment. That is the last and great exodus, the ultimate salvation that was foreshadowed in Moses' day when they crossed the Red Sea. Uh, And that reminded me of a Bible verse. This is a good one. Psalm 98, 1 and 2. Psalm 98, first two verses. It says, sing a new song to the Lord, for He has performed wonders. His right hand and holy arm have won Him victory. The Lord has made His victory known. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. Isn't that good? The sight of the nations. That fits so well. Well, that is the celebration of of God's righteousness in in this passage. Now let's flip the coin over and look at the certainty of God's just justice. Look there in verse 5. Uh, John writes, After this I looked, and the heavenly temple, the tabernacle of testimony, was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues, dressed in pure bright linen and with golden sashes wrapped around their chest. One of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. How long does God's wrath last? Probably as long as He does, and He lives forever and ever. Then the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. There you go. So let's look at the certainty of God's justice. There in verse 5, he says that the heavenly temple, remember, now now think about it, I think we forget this sometimes, but just jog your memory a little bit. The earthly tabernacle, now let let me back up. Okay. We always talk about, particularly this time of year, because for many years, you know, you would see on TV Charleston Heston and the Ten Commandments movie, and they'd usually always show it around Easter and stuff. Uh, And so I think through the years, a lot of people, they think about the whole Moses on the mountaintop with God, 40 days, 40 nights, comes down with the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. We remember that story. What we forget if you read the entire book of Exodus, two things happened up there, okay? Um, The first thing that uh, Moses got on the mountaintop was the Ten Commandments, and that's the one we focus on. But if you read the rest of the book of Exodus, while he was up there, God gave Moses a blueprint for the tabernacle that ultimately became the temple. I mean, there were dimensions, there were different areas of it. Remember, there was the, the curtain with the Holy of Holies, there was the Ark of the Covenant, and everything was very detailed, very detailed. And all of that was based on 
the heavenly temple. And I think we realize that when we read the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, that the earthly temple was based on the heavenly temple because the author of Hebrews tells us that when Christ went into the Holy of Holies and offered himself as an atonement for our sin, as a sacrifice, uh, he was different from all the other priests. The other priests had to take um, blood for themselves because they were sinners. Christ was the sinless, stainless, spotless Lamb of God. And so he was completely innocent, but he gave himself as a sacrifice for our sin. And he entered the heavenly temple. Okay, he entered the heavenly temple. Well, here is that heavenly temple. And John says, I look and there's the heavenly temple. And he calls it the tabernacle of testimony. And uh, that's very interesting because, um, well, first of all, let me back up. Here we have in this vision, heaven opening, because the temple in heaven opens. And every vision, every major vision he's had in Revelation, uh, heaven opens. Uh, at the start of the seals in Revelation 4.1, the trumpet cycle, Revelation 8, the drama of the woman and the dragon, Revelation 11. And now here are the bowls in the Revelation 15. But here in verse 5, it's called the tabernacle of testimony. Now, if you're familiar with the history of the tabernacle temple, you'll know that the biggest difference between the tabernacle and the temple, it's basically one and the same, based on the same blueprint, came from God. The tabernacle was portable, right? And it was during Moses' day because they were moving around a lot, and it was a tabernacle, like a tent. I think of the old tent revivals they used to have, okay? It was portable. But by the time... Solomon came along and wanted to build a temple. Well, it was more like this. It was a physical building. And once you built it, there it was. You can't move it around. It wasn't portable anymore. Okay? And for here, for us to talk about a sign, to talk about plagues, to talk about a sea, to talk about victory over an enemy to talk about a song of Moses, he, he keeps up that language by saying tabernacle, which goes back to Moses' era. And he says that John draws a... Here's what one Bible study guy says. He says, John draws attention to the heavenly temple by giving it a title he uses only here and only one time, the tabernacle of the testimony. This is one of the names of the sacred chant that the Israelites used in the wilderness. And it's a tabernacle because it's portable. And the term testimony refers to the tablets of the Ten Commandments that God brought down, or that God gave Moses and he brought down from the, uh, from the mountain and put in the Ark of the Covenant. And so very interesting there. In verse 6 and 7, he says, Out of this temple come the seven angels with the seven plagues. And, and they're kind of dressed like priest with this pure, bright linen, uh, but then they have the golden sashes wrapped around their chest, which kind of reminds us, of, I think, of how Jesus was dressed in Revelation 1. But um, Bill, uh, G.K. Bill says this, bowls in the Old Testament were used in conjunction with the priestly service in the tabernacle or the temple. And some directly connected with the service of the temple 
are referred to as golden bowls. Matter of fact, there's scripture references here I could give you, but in 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, it refers to golden bowls in the temple. Now, these uh, angels were ministering with the bowls at the heavenly temple, the heavenly altar of the tabernacle of testimony. And though the altar is not mentioned, it's implied because in the next chapter it refers to the altar uh, uh, with the bowl judgments. And it says this connection with the altar shows that the bowl judgments are God's answers to the prayers saints. or the, I mean, the saints' prayers. I'll get that right in a minute. Go back, I'll show you. Go back to Revelation 8 for just a minute. Revelation 8, and uh, I want to read verses 3 through 5. Um, Revelation 8, 3 through 5. Uh, this is the seventh seal. Another angel with a golden incense burner came and stood at the altar. He was given a large amount of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar in front of the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up into the presence of God from the angel's hand. And the angel took the incense burner, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it to the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Earlier in Revelation, it connects the acts of God to the prayers of His people. And you know what? I think we need to be reminded of that. Prayer is powerful. It moves the hand of God. And this connection is confirmed between the golden bowls full of God's wrath and the golden bowls full of incense representing the saints' prayers. So I thought that was an interesting connection. Then in verse 8, the last verse here of this passage, he says, And then the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. Now we can go back to a couple of instances in the Old Testament, where that happened as well. The glory of the Lord filled the temple, okay? But here it says, no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. And uh, Beale says this concluding statement in Revelation 15 underscores the fact that the bold judgments do not come ultimately from the angels or from one of the four living creatures that gave the bowls to the angels, but from God. Okay, this, uh, this act of judgment is coming directly from God. And He is the one uh, who lives forever and ever. And God's wrath will be completed. We'll look at this more next week. This is kind of like, this, this lesson's kind of like a preview of coming attractions. If you look ahead in chapter 16, uh, we'll study all of that chapter next week. And it goes through all four seven bowls, okay? Each one is considered a plague. Remember, it just mentioned it here uh, tonight in the passage that we're looking at, Revelation 15, uh, verse 1. You have seven angels with seven bowls filled with seven plagues, okay? And they're filled with God's wrath, and they, they will complete God's wrath. And so we'll look at that next time. Now, before I land the plane... I want to kind of hammer these two ideas that, that I get from this passage. Uh, God's justice, okay? We see God's justice served here. God's wrath will be completed, so justice will be achieved. I know we live in a fallen world. We see things happen around us all the time that aren't right. A lot of things are wrong, and sometimes we go, man, this world is messed up. Will there ever be any justice? Uh, there will be, but not, not the way we think. 
Ultimately, there will be justice when Christ comes back and one day judges the world and reigns in righteousness forever. Uh, but God's justice will produce two things. And that's what I want to leave you with tonight. God's justice will produce jubilation for the saints. If you read this first uh, half of Revelation 15, I won't read it again, but what did he see? He saw uh, a sea of glass, and the saints were standing on the sea of glass, and they were given harps from God, and they were singing the song of Moses and of the Lamb, and they were praising God for the victory. Amen? They were praising God for the victory and for the fact that He had allowed them to overcome and he was just and true in all his ways. And as king of the nations, uh, he, he sa it says that all nations will come and worship before you. They'll bow before you because your righteous acts have been revealed. And so one day when God's justice is achieved, it will produce jubilation for the saints. The second thing it will do is it will produce judgment for sinners. Okay, It'll produce judgment for sinners. And that's what the second half of Revelation 15 is about. He looks up again. He sees the heavenly temple uh, open and out come these angels with these uh, bowls of wrath and nothing. nobody can go into the temple until this is done and finished. I think that also gives us another clue. The reason why no one can go in the temple until the wrath of God is complete, it shows you that God has set a date he has set a time when one day He will judge the world and His wrath will, be, will break out against sinners. And when that day comes, nothing will change the fact. Okay, Our God is loving and our God is long-suffering. But when we get to that point, nobody can run into the temple and intercede because time's up, too late, game over, it's done. Okay? And so I think that is a message that is sent from this vision of once the angels come out with the bowls, nobody can go into the temple until it's over. And by then, it's already done. And so, uh, again, God's justice will produce jubilation for the saints and judgment for sinners. And with this said, I want to wrap it up. The teaching about God's wrath, this teaching from the Bible about God's wrath, is that sinners desperately need to repent of their sin and put their trust in Christ who bore God's wrath for us at the cross. Um, and so I think the, the personal message here for every one of us is have your sins been forgiven? Have you received Christ in your life? Or is the wrath of God something you're going to face someday? Now, if Christ is in your life, you don't have to worry about the wrath of God because He bore all of that on the tree in His body when He shed His blood for you and me, okay? But if we don't have Christ in our life, then the wrath of God is the fate of all those who don't know Christ. And so the solution is simple. Realize that we are sinners, that we need a Savior, and put our trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I like, I like this one verse, and I'll end with this note. Romans 5. Uh, Romans 5 is a great chapter. It talks about how we were saved, uh, and now we are righteous based on the sacrifice of Jesus. And not only are we saved by His death, because He died for our sins, 
but we're also saved by His life because He lives forevermore and He intercedes uh, for us before the Father. And in light of that, that thought in Romans 5, 9, Paul says, How much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by His blood, will we be saved through Him from wrath? Okay? Not only are we saved by the blood of Jesus, but we're saved from the wrath to come. Okay? Because He bore that for us on the tree at Calvary. And I don't know about you, but I am thankful for that. Amen? And so that's all you need to know. There's uh, one more verse. If I find it real fast, I'll, I'll, I'll read it because I'm reminded of it too. Uh, but there's one more verse about that. <clears throat> yeah, here it is. Uh, when Paul wrote to, first, to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians um, 1, 8 through 10, listen to this. Uh, Paul says, For the word of the Lord ring out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything. For they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Isn't that good? Jesus rescues us from the wrath to come. It's my prayer tonight that if you have never made that personal decision to trust and follow Jesus, that you will before it's everlasting too late. Well, let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight. We thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would remind us tonight of the reality of your wrath that will one day be expressed towards sin. And Father, I pray, Lord, may we find an assurance from that. Lord, there's a reason why your word teaches that the saints will be jubilant and the sinners will be judged. Lord, I pray that we'll find ourselves on the right side of that truth when that day comes. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.